Hey guys, and welcome back to the Well-Fed Business Podcast, where I'm joined, as always, by the EBG. But we've got a little intruder with us, a little blue-haired intruder. You want to introduce her, John? Yeah, unfortunately, this is Vicky Fraser. Oh, Vicky Quinn, I beg your pardon, Vicky. I've known Vicky for what seems like hundreds of years. She's a good friend of mine, good client of mine. And her particular speciality is books. But Vicky, tell us a little bit about what you do first before we like, make fun of you and make you cry. Hello. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. I have known John for about 3,000 years, which is almost as old as he is. I used to be a copywriter, marketing consultant, and I am now a book coach, a non-fiction book coach. I help people write books. You coach people in writing books, but it's not just any old non-fiction books, is it? You've got a little speciality, haven't you? I do, yeah. So I, I coach people to write normal books, but my speciality is micro books. I have teeny tiny little books, maybe 100 pages or less. 10 to 15,000 words or less. So yeah, micro books. I love the idea of micro micro books because a lot of people, I think, find the idea of writing a a big book quite daunting. And I had been finding this, especially given everything that's going on in the world right now. And I just thought, you know what, micro books, let's let's try micro books. And people have got a bit less bandwidth and stuff. And it's proving to be really popular. People are loving it. I've read your blurb, your little landing page. And you quite rightly say there are quite a few very popular business books out there that could have probably been written on a page or two and the rest is just fluff. The one that springs to mind for me, and I don't mind saying this because I will actually say that the book is very good. The message they away from the book is very good, but it could have been just one or two pages. As it is, it's a whole book and that is The One Thing. I don't even remember the guy's name who wrote it. There's, there's a lot of self-absorbed navel-gazing going on in that book, I'm sorry. But the message is great, but it could have been one page. But what do you think about this because I know from years ago, before everyone got everything digitally, when you bought something, like you'd, you'd buy products through online and you'd like Dan Kennedy's PowerPoints. And there's two of these great big things in the CD. And it was the kind of case of never mind the quality, feel the width. People like bulk. How do you address the objection that people don't want itsy bitsy little things? They want to feel they've actually bought something substantial. I know that's a non sequitur. The size doesn't matter, said the actress of the bishop. How do you get over that one? I think there are some people out there who equate quality and value with size, but honestly, I'm not one of them. And so those people are not those people are not my people are not my people because I've bought loads of those products in the past and they're absolutely stuffed full of loads of stuff. I bought stuff that are like, oh, we've, we're giving you these 15, like these 15 <laughs> bonuses as well. And honestly, I find that really overwhelming. I'm like, no, that's it's too much. It's too much. I want to learn one thing. And I, le- I want to learn that one thing really fast. And for me, I would pay more for that than I would pay for a giant, all-encompassing thing. Some people love the, the mega products with all of the stuff, and they will work all their way. They'll work their way through them. I don't. I hate them, and the people that I work with find them overwhelming as well. Yeah, I get that, and I know there are reasons for that. And I think I've got the same reasons for getting overwhelmed by it. I'm just thinking now. Some years ago, I had this guy who wanted to be a client of mine, but he couldn't afford to pay me, so he offered to swap me a load of bootleg Dan Kennedy, Jay Abraham, and other people's stuff. And he says, well, I can't afford your fees, but I've got a terabyte, a terabyte of information products I can swap. And I thought then, you've got, yeah, you've got a whole terabyte of this stuff and you still can't get your fucking business working. You don't need my help. You need a lobotomy, mate. I mean, it is true what you say. I've got two full-size bookshelves and two half-size bookshelves there full of books. Most of, probably 90% of which I've read, and information products. 
some of which I've not even taken out of the box yet. A lot of it is just fluff. In fact, I'm writing a book of my own right now. It's very late for various reasons. But the hardest thing I'm finding is the second part of the book, which is the how to do this. I want to keep it as short as possible. And that's so much harder to write. Yeah. People, sometimes people write a big book or a long book or a long report or something because they don't have time to write a shorter one. Yeah. Who said, was it Hemingway who said that? I'm writing you a long letter because I don't have time to write a short one. Yeah, I've heard it paraphrased from engineers. I don't, sorry for the length of this report. I didn't have time to write a shorter one. But it's true, isn't yeah. it? It is, yeah. And I think part of the reason is that like curse of knowledge that we have. It's like when you know so much about what you do, you forget that people, the people you're writing for don't know all this stuff. You're like, oh, I've got to put all this stuff in. And then for some people, it's like, I know that I know that for you, this isn't true. But I know that for some people, they'll be like, oh, I'm worried about not putting enough stuff in because I'm worried that people will think that I don't know. It's like they're almost writing it for their peers rather than for the people they're writing it for. And that that can be a real problem as well. Ego, yeah. And you know, that they're worried and I get that as well it's like oh people are gonna think I'm like really basic a basic bitch but it's actually you're they're forgetting who they're writing it for and why they're writing and I think that can be the problem a lot of the time do you find people really know why they're writing the book because I find that I mean I I don't teach writing I mean I I do superficially I teach how to write a book I don't go into some depth you and I when people come to me for that specialist advice I tend to send them on to you but what I find is even though I tell them up front, you are not writing this to make money from selling the book. If you do, fine, you might do. But bearing in mind that half of the royalties in the publishing industry go to Stephen King and everyone else shares the rest, you, know, you are not going to be the next Stephen King, almost so. I'd stake my life on it, or the next J.K. Yeah. Rowling, or Roald Dahl. You're a nobody, and you'll remain a nobody. Even though they know that, they still have this little element of belief about them that says it could happen. So how do I sell this book? I want to monetize this book. You monetize the book by getting the book to do its proper job, which is sending clients your way, don't you? Yeah, if that's the type of book you're writing, yeah. Help. When people come to me, they usually know why they're writing their book because they've been in my world for long enough to have, they know my take on it. And so I work with a couple of different types of people. It tends to be mostly business owners and they do tend to want something that they can hang their business off. So you know, I call it the beating heart of your business. That's what your book can become. It's like it, you can figure out what you really want to do with your business from writing your book and that becomes the, the whole heart of it. Um, but then there's other people as well who are like, you know what, I just want to write a book because I want to write a book and I, w- I think it'll be fun. I think I've got something interesting to say. And they do write and that can serve the same purpose as well. But equally, they're not really expecting the book to sell a bazillion copies and for them to be able to make that money out of it. They're doing it because they want to, which is also a valid reason for writing a book. So I tend to not work with people who think that they're going to be the next Stephen King or J.K. Rowling because I've usually disabused them of that idea way long ago. It's just not a reasonable expectation to have, like you say. What do you do about people who seem to have this feeling of being self-published is like the poor second cousin to getting it published by a real publishing house? I find that bizarre that people worry yeah. about Yeah, it's so funny. And I think that attitude is dying now. It is dying because the, print, the publishing industry is changing. But like, I will say, I'll say to them, I'll tell them what the publishing industry actually is like. And it's like, you'd lose a lot of control over what you've got. You're not necessarily going to be able to do the things that you want to do with your book and all the rest of it. But I will also say to them, in the olden days, it used to be that self-publishing was seen as vanity publishing. I think it's actually the other way around now. And I think that desire to become traditionally published is a vanity thing. It's like, it's the only way you're going to get on most of the bestseller lists because they don't look at self-publishing. Even though I know self-publishers who are making millions of pounds a year from their books, mostly fiction, if I'm honest, is you've got people like Mark Mark Dawson who writes the thriller books. They're a little bit like, I can't remember the damn name now. 
they're like spy thrillery things but he's he's got the self-publishing show the self-publishing formula and he teaches people how to self-publish and how to make an absolute shitload of money from it and there is a way to do that but like he says why would I want to be traditionally published when I'm making millions of pounds from self-publishing my books it's, it doesn't make any sense so it becomes that vanity thing and I just point that out to people it's, you know what if you want to go and write a traditionally published book and get it traditionally published go do that but know why you're doing it understand how it's going to work the fact that you might lose control you're probably not going to make a lot of money if not going to lie if Pe- Penguin knocked on my door and said when you write a book I'll be like of course I'll write a book of course I'm going to want to do that but I'm not going to set out to make that the be all and end all because I'm going to be disappointed if I do. Yeah, there's a lady whose name escapes me now. She made a million dollars writing trashy Mills and Boone style short stories on Kindle Unlimited. I think she, she literally wrote thousands and they're all the same story with different characters in different locations. It's all the same story. And she made a million dollars. And I mean, I, I read a lot of indie science fiction from Amazon on my Kindle, all through Kindle Unlimited. So it cost me about eight quid a month for everything. And I read hundreds yeah. of books a year. And some of these guys, they've got 30, 40, 50 books, and they are probably making possibly millions, or certainly hundreds of thousands of dollars or pounds a year. Absolutely. Um, and they're all self-published. I think you're right. Yeah. I'd never considered that, actually, about the vanity publishing, but you're right. I'd love a publisher to say to me, yeah, write some fiction for us, John. Yeah, when do you want it? Roll over, tickle yeah. my tummy, all that kind of thing. But it's probably yeah. not going to happen. No, and you know what? The self-publishing route can be a route into trad publishing anyway. So if you think about somebody like Andy Weir, who wrote The Martian, which I love that book so much, and he wrote, he self-published his stuff before he got picked up to make The Martian. Then it got made into that massive movie, which I also love. There's a book called Wool by Hugh Howie. He wrote indie books for years and years. Wool was self-published until publishers, traditional publishers, saw how well it was doing and was like, oh, can we traditionally publish this for you? And all of the sequels as well. Look at the woman E.L. James who wrote Fifty Shades of Grey. She self-published that and then it got picked up. And it's people think if it's either or, people think I have to do one thing or the other and it's not true. You can do both. But also I think another thing that people worry about with self-publishing is that it's going to look self-published. And these days, with all the tools available, there is no excuse for having a book that looks self-published. There are amazing designers on Fiverr. You can get an amazing book cover design on Fiverr that looks professional. There's typesetting that's really easy to do. There are tools out there that cost so little money. Vellum. I use Vellum to typeset my books and my clients' books. It's brilliant. And so there is no excuse for having, like all of my self-published books, all of my clients' self-published books would not look out of place in a Waterstones. You know, you would see them on the shelf and you would assume that they had been traditionally published and that's the way it should be. It's fascinating, really. This is for the listeners, not bouncing off figure here. When people realise you've written a book, their attitude to you changes immediately. A few years ago, Mrs. Mrs. EBG and I went up to a and b up in Bantry. And the guy was quite snotty. And I know what I look like and I know what I sound like. I had a yobbo and a thug. Denim jacket, beard, bald head, scruffy hat, scruffy clothes. But the moment Sarah said, oh, John's, because he said, what do you do? And I didn't want to talk. And Sarah said, oh, John's a so-and-so. He's written this book. As soon as he realised I'd written a book, his attitude to me changed completely. He went from looking at me as a yobbo to, oh, my God, this guy is some kind of deity. He's actually written a book. Because literature over here in Ireland is very high, literature and literacy. It's very highly prized here in Ireland. But people's attitude to you changes completely. Micro books, it ain't what you got, it's what you do with it. So how big is a micro book in terms of words, roughly? 10 to 15,000. So really short. The well-fed freelancer was 30, 33,000 words. I thought that was bloody short. I thought I was short. What does that translate to in pages then? 
so this one is 40, 44 pages. This is a book that one of my micro book clients has just put out. She's the first one actually uh, to get her book out and done. I know so, uh, another one of my micro book clients has just just done one with I think 60 pages and there's 80 pages so I would say less than 100 pages fewer than 100 pages <laughs> is about right and anything more than that I would say is getting into the realm I mean I've made this category up myself right it is this is not this if you google micro book you'll find me and not much else because it's not like oh, no, I've to, done it <laughs> it's not like you're going to go to the publishing industry and be like I want to write a micro book they'll be like what and again this is like creating my own niche right I'm creating my own niche people who want to write sh- short books people who don't want to write longer books so yeah less than 100 pages, fewer than 100 pages and 10 to 15,000 words, maybe even less than that. And before anyone listening to this thinks Vicky's talking crap and she's not got a hope of making this work, I'll just remind you all, a guy called Mark Reeve, Mark Shreve or Reeve? Mike Shreve. Mike Shreve. He's built a several million dollar business on the idea of writing short books. He doesn't put a, he doesn't call them micro books and Vicky has categorically not copied his idea at all. It's a completely different thing. But the, the point I'm making is short books work. They can also fail. I mean, 16, 17 years ago, when I was first started my business, I was offered a book through some various internet means by Tony Robbins to promote his latest trip to the UK. Now, anyone offers me a book, yeah, I'm, I'm yours. Just give me a book. So I said, yeah. And it came and it was 77 pages. But it was 77 pages of badly written, crap content, large print. And that was a real letdown. So it is possible, of course, and I'm kind of playing, playing devil's advocate here, to write a short book, not take it seriously and treat it superficially and actually shoot yourself in the foot with it, yeah? Yeah, for sure. And like, I've actually heard people say, oh, you should write a book for your business. It doesn't matter if it's any good because nobody will read it. And that makes my head explode for several reasons. Oh, First thing, it's like disrespectful to books secondly it's a waste of trees thirdly it's like why would you disrespect your reader like that as well if you're giving or selling people a book they have every right to expect it to be at least reasonably good because they're even if it yeah books aren't expensive but it's the time that you put into reading them and it's i want to write something that people are going to find either useful or entertaining preferably both and i'm Definitely never going to work with somebody who just wants to write a book as a tick box marketing exercise because I just think it's a really shitty thing to do. And I have my own opinions about Tony Robbins, but it doesn't surprise me at all that his book was a bag of shit. But yeah, I just think that's super disrespect, super disrespectful to your reader. It's own a don't assume people aren't going to read it because people will read it. It's otherwise oh, why yeah. they're going to buy a book and they will judge you on it. If it's a bag of shit, then they're going to think you're a bag of shit as well, and that's not a reasonable or, assumption. Or you'll get bag of shit clients. That too, yeah. <laughs> No, yeah. seriously, you will. And this comes from Dan Kennedy, as far as I recall. So I've not made this up, but we stick to this quite religiously. With our books, we have the basic premise that if you follow what I tell you to do in the book, yeah, you're going to have to probably invest in research because I can't tell you everything. Otherwise, the book would be like this thick. If you follow the steps I give you in the book, you will solve your problem. It does require extra study. And obviously, if you want, if you want my help with it, well, that's why we write the book. But if, you, if the book itself will fix your problem if you do the work. That's the premise on which I write the book, and it works. So please, people, don't underestimate the power of this. And don't just because Vic is selling a teaching to write a micro book. And I would say that as much work goes into a micro book as something like this, it's just less typing. You've got to think about it, haven't you, more? Exactly, yeah. And a lot of the work that I do with people is getting them to, like, like you said earlier, is like getting them to think about why they're writing this book. And one of the big things that people struggle with any book, like not just a micro book, is stopping it from bloating out and becoming massive, right? Because you just want to put everything into it. That's not a cool thing to do for a variety of reasons. But like with a micro book, I think you've got this real cool opportunity to get people 
if you're doing all of your it can form the part of your marketing that gets people ready to work with you so it's like what do people need to know before they start working with you or what do people need to know before they start learning this and that's one of the things that i really love about microbooks it's like people can be like i want to learn to do xyz i want to learn how to i don't know how to breed emus whatever and before you're going to start breeding emus what do you need to know it's like there's a bunch of stuff that you're going to need to know before that before you can even start learning or people might think i want to you know i want to be able to grow my business but until they get their mindset in the right place it's are you going to though are you going to do the things that you need to do do you believe that you can do the things that you need to do do you even believe that you can grow your business it's like maybe that's the micro book that you write is like that point of it and it's that transformation for the reader then it's not anything necessarily tangible, but it's just a shift in mindset to get them into a place where they can start doing the work that they need to do. And I, that's one of the reasons why I get really excited about microbooks is that little shift. I've got a quick question. What do you say to people that listen to all of that and they go, yeah, love it, completely agree. I don't think I can write a book. Because I do hear that a lot, especially the guys in uh, construction that they work with. They go, yeah. Yeah, having a book sounds great, but look at me, I'm thick as shit. Oh, see, that just hey, that makes me really sad because it's like what have what has led them to think that about themselves, and that just pisses me off. It's like it's just society's bullshit. Oh, you're a builder, therefore you're thick. It's it's nonsense. But the second thing is, even if you're like not a writer, do air quotes, not a writer, you don't have to sit down in front of a computer and bang out a book. We've got voice notes, we've got dictation tools. There are so many ways that you can write a book that don't involve actually a pen and paper or a laptop or anything like that. If you can talk passionately about something for 15, 20 minutes, half an hour, you can absolutely write a book about that. If you are knowledgeable enough to talk about something for 20 minutes and help people solve a problem, you can absolutely write a book. And if you're worried that your writing will be shit, then there are people who can help you make it not shit. And so it's the ideas that are important. It's the ideas and the message that are important and all of the language around it, that can be tidied up. So I would say, don't please don't let that stop you. If you've got something that you think is going to help people, yeah, you know what? You might not like writing. You might be worried about it, but don't let it stop you from writing a fucking book because there are other ways to do it than the academic way. Well, the thing is, writing is a learned skill. It's essentially thinking on paper, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I, call it in, I call it intentional thinking because most people don't think at all. They, they just, when they're asked for an opinion on something, They'll see how they feel about it, look around, see what other people think, and then, then come up with some eclectic mishmash of what they think their opinion should be. Very few people think critically about anything. And if you're going to think critically, writing stuff down is the best way to do it because you can't escape from what you've already thought. When we're thinking yeah. just in our heads, we can forget things. We have selective memories. When you've written it down, it's in black and white or blue and white. But this is why we journal every day yeah. and we actually teach intentional thinking. So if you're going to write with integrity, even for only 15,000 or 10,000 words or fewer, then your work will be exemplary. You will be better at what you do because you've got to think it through. And any assumptions you've got which are flawed or false, you'll have to confront them and then either accept that or be out of integrity. So if I was to say to you, okay, Vicky, I bought into this. Here's my check. Remember checks? Here's the check. <laughs> I want to write my micro book. How long would it take me from sitting down from the very first day at the keyboard or the notepad or I've, said, I've raised my hand and said yes, how long is it going to take me without sitting, living at my computer to get this damn thing in front of me? So obviously that's going to depend on how much time you can put into doing this. But I honestly think that if you can put one to two hours a day for four to six weeks, you'll have a decent micro book by the end of that. So for example, the one that I just waved at you a minute ago by my client, she had finished the first draft of it by the time the four weeks were up, because it's a four-week course. Um, a week or so later, she'd, had it, she'd done the edits, she'd had it through the beta readers. A week after that, she had it all ready. And the thing that took the most time 
which is always the thing that takes the most time, is getting it ready to actually get up and published on Amazon or on Ingram Spark or whatever. But the actual writing of the book, you can do that in four to six weeks. Absolutely, you can. Obviously, if you're not, if you're gonna like just sign up and then not do any writing, then it ain't gonna happen. But if, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that should go without saying. But I also feel like it needs saying. So yeah, if you can do an hour, two hours a day, that's enough time. So people that listening to this are like, what an hour a day writing? I haven't got time. That's bullshit. You've got loads of discretionary time. Every minute you spend watching fucking soap operas, reading the newspaper, doom scrolling on Instagram and TikTok, and especially you middle-aged guys out there watching 15-year-old dance girls dancing on TikTok, you should be ashamed of yourselves. You'd never catch me looking at anything like that. I don't actually have TikTok anymore. For that reason, it's just too easy to spend all day, hours looking at it. You know, every minute you spend not working on your book and doing something discretionary like going down the pub, watching telly, even talking to your wife and kids more than is absolutely necessary. Time you could be spending on your book. There's a great book by Stephen King on writing. Again, the first few pages are just lots of navel-gazing, self-absorbed bollocks from Stephen King. But he's got some solid advice on creating your environment and your schedule. Like you said, people who say, I don't have time, I don't think that's actually the problem a lot of the time. Sometimes it is, but I think the problem is, a lot of the time, is like they're not quite sure how to start, what they want to write about, why they're writing it in the first place. Maybe they don't even want to write a book. If you don't want to write a book, don't write a book, because it won't, it won't be good and you won't enjoy it. But if your argument is simply, I don't have time, make time. That's what, we don't find time to do stuff like this. We make time to do it. Every, almost everybody, I'm not going to say everybody because I don't know, but almost everybody can carve out an hour a day to do something like this. And that's all that you need. And I would say the other thing is if you're thinking, oh, I don't have time, quite often those people, it's a knee-jerk reaction, right? It's like, I don't know, because that's my first reaction to doing something that is hard. It's like, oh, I don't have time to do that. But if I actually sit down and look at my calendar and my schedule, I can sit and look at where I've got space and actually put that time into my calendar and make the time there to, to do it. Instead of just knee-jerk saying, I don't have time to do this, go and look at your calendar and see, you know, have I got a couple of hours? Maybe you haven't got an hour every day, but maybe you've got three hours on a Saturday. Maybe you've got a couple of hours on a Sunday. Maybe that's where you find your time, you know? Make your time. I said to people, if that's not your priority right now, then let's not do this because you're just not going to do it. You'll be frustrated. I will be frustrated. Everybody will be frustrated and you won't have a book at the end of it. So it's, do you really want to do this? If so, then let's make that space and make that time. And the people who really want to do it will do that. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I mean, I've been long been a proponent of people writing books for their business. To the extent I wrote my own 10 years ago this summer. It's a great, it's a great book. It's not fit for purpose though. For It's more of a, it's more of a textbook, not a how-to. So it's been good for my business, but it's not going to be as good as the welfare business owner is. It's far too long. It's a, chunk, a chunky tome. <laughs> you Google micro book, Vicky pops up. You Google micro penis, John pops up. So that, that's Connor's contribution to the podcast. But this is what I have to put up with, Vicky. This is what I have to put up with. I, I'm just listening and enjoying and smirking to myself every now and again. Do you teach them how to market the book once they've, sold, once they've written it? Not really, no, because if I'm honest, that's not something that I particularly enjoy, but I do, I know I have to do it and all the rest of it, and I quite like doing my own stuff, but I don't enjoy teaching it so much. What I do is I give people a place to start. So I'll talk about building a platform, building your email list, get, building up some interest. I talk a little bit about launching, and I just give them the basics of, you know, if you want to sell books, you need to sell books, and, and I know that sounds really obvious, but there are other places that I can send them to. There are other people who specialize in book marketing and I can send them there. There's a couple of books that I recommend that people read. Your First Thousand Copies, I think it's called, is one of them. There's another one. I can't remember the names of these books. Do you mind if I disappear for two seconds to my bookshelf because I can grab them then? No, hope so. If you'd like to, yeah, crack on. 
I haven't heard of that one before. Have you, John? First thousand copies? No, that's why I just read it. Never heard that before. Yeah, me too. I've got a stack of my my to read pile is huge. How to sell a crap load of books. Who's that by? That is by Tim Van der Hey and Naren Ariel. The to read list is getting bigger. Yeah, sorry. I'd love to see you write a book, Connor. Oh my god. Why'd you say that, you prick? You would single handedly keep the proofreading industry afloat for several months. <laughs> Do we have any questions from the inner circle? Well, I know we have. How much do you need to write to make it worthwhile? We've covered, a, we've covered that. Ten to 15,000. How long should it be? Same question. Ten to 15,000. Steve Ramsey, how long should it be? I know I've read something about 60 pages being the optimal length to ensure it will both be read and acted upon. Could you expand upon this area? No, a book can't be too long. It can only be too boring. If you got your message out there, is it interesting? Is it entertaining? Has it done what you want? Has it taken the reader to where you want to take them to? Then it's fine. It's long enough. People who say, for instance, if someone says 60 pages is the optimum length for a book, I guarantee that person is sending, selling a course on how to write a book of 60 pages long. Yeah. Like, I don't know how long the optimum, the optimum is. Like, they, they don't know. And, and the other thing to keep in mind is that like, a lot of the conventions about how long a book is supposed to be come from the traditional publishing industry. And when you ask them why, they don't have an answer other than that's the way we've always done it. And it's, then that's not the way we have to keep doing it. So it's like you said, it's just like how get your message out with minimum fluff and that's fine. Yeah, it can't be too long, only too boring. It yeah. can be too short, though. Yes. James Grace, how much does it cost to publish a digital book? Nothing. Only your time. It is free to put up on Amazon Kindle. It's not even difficult. If you're going to pay someone to do your... Vicky can probably answer this because I do all my own typesetting and stuff. You said you get a cover designed on Fiverr. How much, roughly? Like $50. Typesetting will vary. It depends on how complicated the innards of your book is. If it's just a basic black and white normal text, a um, couple of hundred quid, depending on how long it is. What exactly is typesetting? Typesetting is creating the in innards of the book file, like the text part of the book file with all of the bits. So it's making a book look like a book. It's like you've got your header and footer, your page number, you've got your titles, you've got your layout, you've got your paragraphs. It's making it all look like a book, making it readable. Like taking your Microsoft Word document and turning it into something like this, Connor. So yeah. the next question would be, why can't I set Microsoft Word to the size of a book and just set my headers and footers in that? You can. You absolutely can do that. But Microsoft Word is a massive pain in the ass to use. It's a massive pain in the ass to use. If you were going to do it for free, I would recommend that you. I would recommend that you go on to Readsy's website. That's R E D Y S. They have a free like typesetting tool, and they've specifically designed it for book publishing. Microsoft Word is not designed to publish books. It's a word processing program. So, should people be writing their books straight into Readsy? Should they be doing it in another program? Like, what what does that process look like? Someone says, "Hey, I want to write a book." They sit at their computer. Where do they go? Do they go to Google Docs, where do they go? That's a really good question. And my answer to that is always wherever you feel most comfortable writing. So I know that a lot of people will say, you must use Scrivener, you must use words. No, I don't want to put barriers in, in between people writing their book and you know it getting done. So if you're comfortable writing in Google Docs, use Google Docs. If you're comfortable using a pencil and a notebook, use that because you can always type it up later. So there is no tool that you must or must not use. And the last question, because John very unceremoniously went, do we have questions? No, we've got questions. Guys, it's the first time we've ever actually asked for questions from you within the bronze community. So to the three people that actually did respond, which is three more than I thought would. So Mark, Ellen, Steve, Ramsey and James Grace. 
Thank you very much. The last question was from James himself, who I spoke on a triage call the other day. And he asks, how cool is it? So how cool is it to call yourself an author? It's really cool. And I know this is like, this is like one of those really stupid things and it's totally meaningless and it's just ego driven. But honestly, there is very little that can beat the feeling of your book arriving in a box and it's all quite fucking made. I made this because even a micro book, it's like, it's a difficult thing to do. Anyone who tells you writing a book is super easy. It's either lying or I don't know, lunatic. Because it's not an easy thing for most people to do. If it was, everybody would do it, but most people don't and never will. So it's really cool. Other than it's literally just an ego thing, but I just think it's so cool to be able to go, look what I made. I'm an author, a fucking author. I wrote a book. It's very cool. What do you think, John? Do you agree? Oh, absolutely. It's a real achievement. I've got photographs because I used to do what's called reverse shoplifting. I go into bookstores and put my book on the shelf. And then I take a photograph. And then my book's in Waterstones. And it does work <laughs> because I've gone in before and it's disappeared. It's gone. Now, it's unlikely that anyone's that the staff have taken it off the shelf. They won't know what they've got. I also know, now this is really cool, Vicky. I don't know if it's happened to you. I've even had people go into a bookshop and order my book, this one, with the ISBN. And Bill, Bill had emailed me and say, someone else has ordered your book from such and such an obscure bookshop in this, some Outer Hebrides. Fucking epic. Yeah, that's a really cool thing to do. So yeah, if you are out there listening and you're like, oh, I would like to buy a book from my favorite author who is self-published, go into the bookshop with the ISBN and ask your local book. So you're A, supporting local bookshops, which is really cool. B, you're getting your book into a real bookshop. And once one person has bought it, they might then start stocking it. They might not, but you never know. The thing is as well, I want, I want to just, before we wrap up in a minute, but your clients you get from this, this is not just about, we talked a lot about how you get a great feeling and all that kind of stuff, and that's great for your business. The reason it's so good for your business is the people who read books think about what they're doing for a moment. And we're not talking about digital books here so much. We're talking about actual bonds on paper. The well-fed business owner will not be a digital book at all. It will only be on paper. And that's deliberate. People have said, oh, you'll sell more if it's digital. Yes. That's not the point. We don't want to sell more. We want to sell it to the right people for the right reasons. If someone reads your book, they're studious because they've read your book. They're invested emotionally in it. They're invested time-wise in it. They want to learn about what you've got to teach them. They're invested in it financially. Some people have maybe gone down to the bookshop. They've got in their car. They got off their fat ass, gone in, got in their car. They've driven down to the bookshop. They've ordered your book and come home again. And then they've gone to pick it up when it arrives. When they're reading it, it's a captive audience. They're not, you know, you're reading this book, for instance, you've not got things popping up for my attention like TikTok and Instagram and email. The same is true with Kindle, by the way. We don't get notifications. It's a captive audience. And often, if you encourage people to mark your book and write in your book, which I used to be against, but I'm not now because oh, it's no, an interactive thing. Why do you speak against it? Thing because books are sacred. We oh, the sanctity. Them. Yeah, but now I realize actually they're tools. And you should use yeah, and also if you got like other people's marginalia is so cool. If you get a secondhand book and people have been scribbling in the margins, it's really cool to see what they've been writing. Yeah, Fermat did that, and look what he did to the world. He said, "I've got a simple proof for this, but it won't quite fit in the margin." It actually took several hundred years and a thousand-page proof t- to prove this point. I think he was making up things. So you, know, you can you can really f- you can freak out generations of mathematicians by putting notes in the margin. He was messing with people. <laughs> I, everything oh, you just said about everything you just said about physical books is true, and I would also extend that to audiobooks as well because that has a similar level of intimacy, even more actually in some ways. If you're going to do an audiobook, don't get a voice actor; read it yourself because then you've got your voice in people's ears, 
and it's that is a really cool thing as well and that's you know that's the same thing it's like for whatever reason not every like I've got a client who just doesn't read books she's dyslexic she finds it difficult so she listens to audiobooks and she's one of my best clients she's writing books and writing now as well and she's dyslexic so that's the power of books as well especially the power of audiobooks so I would say don't discount audiobooks if you want to do this because that's also a really cool way of building that relationship and getting the right clients there's AI tools now as well that can completely do the voiceover in your voice for your book oh really oh, that's right. terrifying we are going to do an audiobook at some I don't listen to audiobooks I hate the damn things and I really hate reading out loud I find it very difficult but it's something we will have to do. It's one of those things I don't want to do it, but I'll do it because it's a, it's something we need to do for the business. I think it is worth doing, but like you say, it's not for everybody. If you really desperately don't want to do it, then don't. But I don't. Th- I think there are. I think there's a significant audience out there now that just listens to audiobooks, and so probably one in ten people who buy the book ask us if there's an audio version. So it is worth doing, and I know a lot of people who do buy audiobooks. If I drove the car more, I probably would. I listen to podcasts. I'm a podcast person. A couple of really good audiobooks, um, slightly off topic now. World War Z was really good because they had loads of different voice actors. And then Project Hail Mary was a re- I read that book. It's an under- another Andy Weir book. I read Project Hail Mary and loved it. And then I listened to the audiobook and loved that even more. That sounds pretty cool. Jolly good. So, any final questions for the young lady? No. Nope. In which case, Vicky? <laughs> John. Anything that you want to tell us you've not told us already, first. Second, how can people find out about you and get on your micro books thing because i believe you're doing the onboarding next week or it'll be this week yeah. by the time they listen to this yeah so onboarding starts on february the 27th but it the course itself kicks off on march the 7th i think yeah kicks off on march the 7th so you can join any time up to that day if you want to find out more about that you're gonna have to i've still not got a fucking landing page for this it's a google doc <laughs> i know <laughs> uh, hey it's it's filled three it's filled three rounds of this so far so i'm like it's working but yeah if you want to find out more about it you can email me vicky at moxiebooks.co.uk and i will send you the link you can get on my email list at moxiebooks.co.uk and i will send you links via that as well because i'm going to be promoting this until Would it's... you like to spell out that url so non-adhd people can get it m-o-x-i-e-b-o-o-k-s .co.uk. Brilliant. And I'll add my two pens to that. I've not been on Vicky's micro book writing course. It's probably not something I would need to do because I've written books in the past. But I have known Vicky for a long time and I know she's extremely skilled at what she does. She's even written stuff for me before and nobody writes shit for me. But Vicky does, or used to anyway. I write it all myself now. So if you're thinking about writing your book and you want to write a book for your business and you really should, I can't stress it highly enough, you could do a lot worse and probably do no better than to speak to Vicky about it. She's as honest as the day is long and she's been my client for years and I don't work with shitty people. So there you go. Can't think of a better endorsement. Thank you. And just to add to that, I've got several people coming back for the second time to write their micro books with me. So must be pretty good. Must be pretty good, yeah. Thank you, Victoria. Thank you, Thank you very John much. Connor. It's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, it's been a delight. Re- Thank you very much. I realise what a privilege it's been for you to be here with us. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. John only mentioned and touched upon some <laughs> joke once, and he very quickly moved on, so I'd call the episode a success. Well done, John. Be proud of yourself. Hey, don't knock it till <laughs> you tried it. And on that note, goodbye. <laughs>